When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to our Minnesota Vikings training camp special. Matthew Collar here. And if you're watching on YouTube, yes, inside the new studio, which has been much talked about. And I am very happy to be inside of the new house. Uh, if you're noticing, there's probably not a whole lot of echo anymore because it's not an empty room. And we've got kind of a real background. If we can uh, zoom out and show everybody that behind me, are mostly photos from places, if, if you're watching, if you're listening, I'll just describe it for you. Uh, mostly photos of places that I've been covering games. So we've got, you know, the Viking Stadium here. Buffalo is over there. Oh, look, it's a free advertisement for my book, which is pre-sale on now football is a numbered game. How did that happen? Uh, San Francisco inside their press box back here. On, on the Saints field at the Superdome there, Purple Insider logo. There's a couple more behind me. Mankato is over here. Um, so I've got some Egan mixed in kind of behind me. I put Chicago directly behind me so you'll never see it uh, because nobody <laughs> wants to look at Soldier Field, who's a Vikings fan. But uh, Jonathan Harrison, who uh, tonight will be asking me the most pressing camp questions, was uh, very, very helpful in putting this all together. And you can see if you go to my Twitter, the behind view of kind of the desk setup and everything else. So thank you for coming over on a Saturday, Jonathan, and spending your time to put this together. We got a real microphone situation. We sound good. We look good. We are ready for 2023. No more bumming it. We're going. We're going. We're all in. We're legit now. Let's go. Let's. Uh, we got a great studio. And it looks fantastic. I'm ready to. I'm ready to go. And thank you for the delicious Mexican food afterwards. Well, yeah, I mean, you earned it. You put in a lot of sweat. And also, just gotta shout out the movers as well who came to my house today. And uh, let me just put it this way: Here's when you know that you've crossed a certain age barrier when they are lifting boxes just with their lower backs, and oh. you're like, "Oh, you're 20." And that's why you can do that. Because if I did that, I would be dead on the floor from yep. trying to lift something uh, the same way that they did. But the movers did a great job. So we're in our new place. And uh, this will be the look of the setup going forward. A little more professional YouTuber streamer. And we're going to be doing a lot more of this, by the way, that uh, Hot Routes, which we do on Tuesday nights, is going to expand. We're going to relaunch that for the season as we get a little closer to the season. And Manny Hill is going to be a, a huge part of that. I know that you all love uh, Manny Hill when he does hot routes and, and we're going to have him as a part of it. So a lot more streaming on the YouTube channel. If you're just listening on the podcast, 
Uh, you're going to want to get over there, uh, get over to the hot routes feed, check that out. And all right, we're ready to go. And so what I've been doing is writing a bunch of different uh, preview camp questions articles. And I asked you, Jonathan, to go through those articles and pick out what you think are the most interesting and pressing training camp storylines. And of course, everyone who is watching live, feel free to jump in the comments. We'll read and react to your comments, to your questions, anything you've got to say, anything that's on your mind as the Vikings head into camp. And just to give you a little bit of the schedule on Tuesday, it's going to be Kwesi Adafel Mensa and Kevin O'Connell at the podium talking. We won't be at a practice on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, that's when we are back, back, back. Like we are super back. And oh, guess what? It's going to be a hundred degrees. I don't know if they're going to practice outside or move it earlier or what's going to happen exactly, but it will be extremely hot and we'll uh, be watching a practice, not in pads. It'll be a few days before they get the pads on to really get going, but that's kind of how the schedule works. And then every day they're practicing from about two to four. We'll have articles up on purpleinsider.com the next morning, every single day throughout training camp. And then, uh, you know, here we go. Um, <laughs> congrats for straight pictures in the background. They kind of are. I mean, I, I tried, but, uh, I, I don't have a very like pristine, uh, I, well, let's just put it this way. I would be a bad surgeon. If I was like putting these things up, if I had to cut somebody open, I would make a huge mistake. So, you know, they're mostly straight. I think it's close enough, but, uh, anyway, Jonathan, why don't we just start out by getting right into the most pressing Vikings 2023 training camp questions. Oh, by the way, if you thought the diet Dr. Pepper was going anywhere, it is not. It is here. Come sponsor the show, Diet Dr. P. <laughs> There's your call to action, Dr. P. Get on it. Just saying. But all, all right, right, let's let's go. Let's go. First let's, question. What do we let's got? Start, let's start off with the most pressing of issues. Uh, and I combined this one a little bit uh, from a couple of points throughout the articles that you did over the last week and a half. And I'm going to go, I'm going to ask you the likelihood of A, a Justin Jefferson extension, B, a TJ Hawkinson extension, C, a Daniel Hunter extension, or D, a Daniel Hunter trade. Because as we know, usually what happens with Vikings training camps is they wait until the day before they start practice and they announce the big extension, the big signing, the big whatever. So being that tomorrow is the day before the first practice, what is likely to happen? What are we most likely to see or hear about in the news from the Vikings tomorrow. Yeah, I'm thinking that uh, Justin Jefferson extension is not going to happen right away. And look, uh, they have been pretty good at not really showing their cards this offseason. Uh, that you know, some stuff has kind of come out of nowhere, or taken us by surprise, and like, oh, look, something happened, and we didn't hear about it beforehand, or what we did hear about it was not necessarily accurate. So, I think with these situations, it has been very quiet, which makes it a little hard to judge. So, I'm gonna kind of just use dead reckoning here and take my best guess at what happens. And by tomorrow, in the middle of the day, I could be wrong about all of these things, but. I think that a Justin Jefferson extension takes a little longer. And part of the reason why is that Justin Jefferson does not have to sign an extension at any point this year. He can wait, he can hang out. He can just basically say, 
like you guys want to get this done or you guys need this more than I do. Uh, I know that I'm going to get my money eventually. I can just wait till the absolute best offer and go from there. So again, he could sign it tomorrow and come out and say, guess who's got a gazillion dollars, this guy. Um, but I don't think that it's that easy to work out. And what usually happens leading into uh, training camp, and you've seen this from around the league, there was a total dead period. And then you saw the day everyone got back to work <laughs> around the league, because then we started getting extensions and we started getting news and things like that. And so the Vikings are probably just getting back to work and something as complicated as an extension for Jefferson. It does have the potential for the two sides to see things differently. That one I believe could play out through this camp. I don't know that the Vikings want to let it get all the way to next year because that removes some of their cap flexibility, because if you can push it into this year and next year, then you can have some lower cap hits for the next couple of seasons and work it out kind of the way you want to work it out. As opposed to if you wait till next year, a little less flexibility on that. Uh, and just in general, you don't want to push it closer to that franchise tagline because here's the thing you can franchise tag Justin Jefferson. Eventually you do have that power fifth year option and extension, but those things are expensive Now you don't get any sort of flexibility there. If the, if the franchise tag is 23 million, you are paying 23 million on the cap. And that's a lot. The fifth year option, I forget exactly what it is, but it's probably pretty high for wide receivers. You don't really want that. You don't want this to keep getting dragged out over and over um, so I do think that, uh, this one is going to be a little tough because Jefferson can ask for the moon. He has been quite literally the best receiver ever through three years, um, not adjusting for error or anything like that, but just, just in general, uh, as good as has ever existed in the NFL. So he can ask for, and he's young too. So he can ask for whatever he wants. And if I'm him, I'm not budging for anything less than probably a three-year deal that allows me to hit the lottery twice when I'm in my prime. And then also to be the highest paid. And I mean, if you're him, you're going, how much of this can I get guaranteed? Probably a lot. Uh, so that one's complicated. Hawkinson, I really the theme of this question is going to be, I really don't know, but because we don't Hawkinson seemed like he was having a great time at the twins uh, baseball game. So maybe he's uh, vibing because he knows that he's got an extension in hand. This one in my mind should be easier because Evan Ingram just signed. We have Mark Andrews. We have uh, Dallas Goddard. Let's see, Darren Waller. Like there's a mm -hmm. bunch of tight ends that are similar to TJ Hawkinson who have recently signed contracts. So it's kind of laid out there for everybody. And if he tries to take it into next year, they probably will franchise tag him. And that franchise tag is actually not that high, at least for this year, it may go up. I'm sure it will, but it's not going to be quite in the ballpark of some of the highest paid tight ends. I think it makes a lot of sense for TJ Hawkinson to sign. It also makes a lot of sense for the Vikings to sign him because he's good at football and he's 26 years old and whoever your next quarterback is would love to inherit a TJ Hawkinson. So that one likelihood I think is likely. And if they don't get it done by training camp, by the end of training camp, I just am going to kind of be befuddled a little bit. Like why? Well, what, what's the hold up here? Unless uh, the, he really wants to bet on himself or the Vikings don't believe in him as much as I do, but 
I, I'm not sure. I think that that one's got a much higher chance than Jefferson uh, signing an extension pretty soon. And with Hunter, this one, I have wavered between 55-45 and 45-55 percentage-wise. I Someone asked me this the other day just in public. What do, you, what do you think the chances are he's coming back? And I went like, oh, I think he'll be back. And I'm like, wait, no, I don't. But maybe I do, but I'm not sure. It really feels like Kwesi Adafo Mensa is playing hardball here. And uh, I agree with uh, Matthew when he says that it seems like tomorrow would be an ideal time, especially if you don't want to answer those Jordan uh, Addison questions anytime soon <laughs> to uh, just be yeah. like, well, we have a Justin Jefferson, Daniil Hunter, and TJ Hawkinson extension. Hopefully there's no questions on anything else. Uh, no, they wouldn't, they wouldn't sign extensions just for that purpose. Not the first player who has, or will ever get in trouble. So they'll, they'll have to get used to that. But, um, with Hunter, uh, this one, I, I just swing back and forth on all the time. I, I, I have gone back and forth because I have so much immense respect for Daniel Hunter. I also respect what he's doing here. Like you can't show up to camp with the lack of guaranteed money that he has for this year. You have to make sure that you're not getting on the field until you've got your contract secured because C2020, first day of camp, suffered a neck injury, missed the whole season. He could miss out on a huge payday if he you know, shows up to camp and ends up getting hurt again. Uh, but I also think that if you're Kwesi Adafo Mensa and you are playing hardball and you have the way your plan is plotted out, I will spend this many dollars on this guy or he is out, which is how they've handled the offseason. I, I, I have appreciation for that approach right now. You're not going to overpay. You're not going to lock yourself into something that could hurt you in the future because so much of this is for the future. If he were to say, all right, second and a fourth round pick, I'll take that from somebody for Daniil Hunter. Let's see who can play at outside linebacker, edge rusher, whatever. Uh, I, I, I just see very much both sides of this Daniil Hunter issue. And I guess I'm putting it at 50-50, but I don't believe that will be handled right away either. I think this one could go weeks into camp. And I guess my uh, this this opinion could be expired by tomorrow. And And honestly, I hope all of these are because... Uh, that, that these are resolved because they're interesting to talk about, but also we kind of want to focus on, you know, position battles and everything else and contract things. They just linger and are sort of mm -hmm. frustrating because you don't know what's going on or when it's going to be solved. And it just kind of is a black cloud over the entire camp uh, when it happens. So there is the answer to all of your questions, Jonathan, I guess my question back is, do you, do you agree with my assessment of those? Do you have follow-up questions? Yeah, I, I, have, I have one follow-up question I'll get to, it, but I, I do agree with the assessment uh, pretty much on all of them that Justin Jefferson will take time because they also have a little bit of time to work with. There, There's no necessarily rush to get it done right now. Would it be nice to get it done right now? Absolutely, because then you can, as you pointed out, you can use this year and the cap space they have, that they've built up uh, to your advantage, especially down the road when they start assembling more of that roster and continue building on what they've already got right now. The Hawkinson one feels like it could be the most close to coming to fruition because of uh, just what they gave up to get him, bringing him in, and then the timeline on that one, and then the Hunter one. We, You would think if, if there's a trade in the works, we would have heard some kind of rumors or something about it by now, or 
or some speculation about it, but there's really been nothing coming from any of the camps uh, on that one on a possible trade or an extension. So it's really hard to tell. They've done a pretty good job of keeping everything tight to the tight to the uh, chest here, not allowing anything to get out about any news coming out. And so whatever happens, if something is announced tomorrow, will be kind of a bit of a surprise, but also not because we're expecting something uh, to happen with some, with one of these things coming in the future. My next, my follow-up question is if Hunter doesn't have an extension and they don't have a trade for him, he's made enough money throughout his career where he can afford a holdout. Not the best idea because it's $50,000 fine is, is something around that every day. And you can't just write that off in the new contract. That's something that has to be paid uh, due to the new CBA that they were uh, signed a couple years ago. Does he hold out, do you think, or is it more of the new in fashion hold in that he'll show up, but he's not going to practice? Yeah, I mean, that could very much be the case, uh, but I think that the Vikings just cannot let it get there. And here's what would make me a little bit nervous about that is the way that Delvin Cook and Zadarius Smith were handled, that at the very beginning of the offseason, those two could have just been let go. And look, uh, you know, the fifth-round picks for Zadarius Smith, I guess I'll sacrifice them. And they could have created the cap space to not have to mess around with Kirk Cousins' contract the way that they did in the restructure. Now, of course, this is hindsight, and at the time they may have felt that they could get something more in trades for those guys, but ultimately they waited and waited and waited, and they got basically nothing. And I just wonder if that could go the same way with Daniel Hunter, where they just wait and wait and negotiate and whatever, and then try to, you know, make phone calls to other teams, gather their offers and then say those aren't enough. And then we're waiting. And then we get to the season and nothing is resolved. And as you mentioned, yeah, there is kind of an option for the player to show up, but just be like, I'm not physically ready to play. And then we all just kind of look at each other and don't know what to do. Here's why you don't want that because you want the draft picks for next year. And unless the deals are horrible, which I, I really doubt because he's such a great player. So there has to be trade offers on the table for Daniil Hunter right now. And unless they are horrendous, I think you have to just get what you can for somebody. And, and I've had people ask about like, well, what if they just played hardball? You're under contract. You play for us. And you can try that, but as you mentioned, there's kind of the counterpunch of, whoops, my neck acted up again. I guess I'm just not going to practice or play today. You could do that if you're uh, Daniil Hunter. But also, you're letting an asset depreciate there that you could be trading for something back. And I think that everybody is comfortable at this point with the way everything has gone this offseason if he's part of that mass exodus and this total rebuild of the roster around Jefferson, Derisaw, the foundational pieces, then that's okay. I mean, I think that you would rather have a trade for him, get assets for next year's draft, than you would to say just, you know, pay 25, $27 million per year and just cave. And that's another thing too, is that Quasi Adolfo Mensa, this is his big challenges, his first real big challenges. I don't think that cutting Adam Thielen or Eric Hendricks or even Delvin Cook is a big challenge for a general manager negotiating gargantuan contracts. And I know he's not alone here. There's a whole front office. Rob Brzezinski still here, a very trusted member of the Vikings front office. So that he's not alone in this negotiation, but he's the one calling the shots. He's the general manager. He's the one that the contract goes uh, next to his name. 
and and these are big. I think these are all big. These are three-star players that he's having to deal with and how he deals with them, I think will shape some of the perception beyond just, hey, good job not overreacting to that 13-win season and sticking with your plan. But if you walk out of this whole thing with nothing resolved with Daniil Hunter, nothing resolved with Hawkinson or Jefferson, that's not going to be uh, the greatest look. Let me answer uh, a few comments here. Mm-hmm. Uh, JP, what if Jefferson decides to play out his contract, sign a team-friendly deal with the Bengals, and get the old LSU team back together? Uh, well, if he wanted to do that, he would have to do it in the year, is it 2026? Because the Vikings yeah. have the fifth-year option and could franchise tag him twice reasonably. I mean, I technically could franchise three times, but I think that comes with some gargantuan penalty or whatever, but I mean, that's three more years, not after this year, uh, after next year. So you're talking a long time. He would have to wait. And that's how the NFL set up. That's why the CBA isn't that great for players. A lot of times it is very difficult to escape your team guys who have free agency. Somebody told me this years ago, like, Uh, because I was writing about all these free agents they should sign. And someone said to me, like, you have to consider that if someone hits free agency, it's because their own team wanted them to hit free agency. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time that their team was comfortable letting them go and not paying them. And there often is a reason for that, which is why building through free agency exclusively is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, Whether it's injury history or what, you know, whatever it might be, There's a reason. So it's very, very hard to go through all that. That's year after year uh, of of fighting that battle when what Jefferson should be going for is signing a deal that takes him through that, but also helps the Vikings with the salary cap. So eventually he can try, um, you know, to get another huge contract or if he wants to leave, he can leave. But if you're the Vikings and, and we will move on to other questions, but this is a super pressing question. If you are the Vikings, you want them to sign a five-year deal because that's Mm -hmm. what they always want is guys that have five-year contracts that are more like three so they can keep them for five if they want or not if they don't want to, which is a very wise way of doing it. But this one, I think you kind of have to do whatever Justin Jefferson's side wants. So just to put a bow on it, Jefferson, I think, takes longer. Hawkinson, to me, is pretty straightforward to extend him. And Hunter is an absolute coin flip. But I think... You can be happy either way in the case that he makes like 20 million, 18, 22, not bad. But if you start getting in the upper twenties, that's, that could be restricting, especially with his injury history. And I also think if they trade him for a second and something else, that's pretty good. And if it's more than that, then that's very good. And those outcomes are fine. Other outcomes are not fine. So that's, that's kind of that. Um, let me, let me go back to the comments here from Joshua philosophical question. Is there an unwritten rule to not ask the team obvious hard hitting questions that typically come to mind by the average fan for fear that it may ruffle feathers? Um, no, uh, not at all. Not at all. I mean, look at the things we've been through with this team as a beat. I mean, we've had to ask a lot of very awkward and uncomfortable questions along the way. But usually the way that it is, uh, is you, you ask in a professional manner. So if you were to go up, you know, with Kevin O'Connell and start yelling at him about Jordan Addison, I don't think you're getting a very good response from that, but you know, it's funny. One of the best questions 
ever asked the entire time I've covered the Vikings was by our friend Judd Zolgat. He asked Mike Zimmer, are you mad, Mike? And, <laughs> and, and people will remember this. This is after Kirk Cousins got COVID in uh, 2021. And uh, that was before the night practice. So right after training mm-hmm. camp started. And that was all he asked was just, are, are you upset? Are you mad that, you know, he got COVID um, because of, and then there's the whole other thing that we don't have to get into, but then Zimmer just sort of let loose at that point. And it was as simple as just asking that, but asked in a very earnest and professional way. Uh, I think that when you talk about hard hitting, it's like, well, sometime, most of the time, uh, I don't even know what that really means. You just ask the question that needs to be asked. And I mean, then you go from there, like the Kellen Mond, Mike Zimmer rant. It was just, you know, Mike, did you consider playing Kellen Mond? And he said something like, I've already seen him in practice or whatever. You know, a lot of times the memorable answers come from very unmemorable, straightforward questions. But the goal is not to make us the story of reporter goes after Zimmer. No, the report, the, the, the goal is to get the most information that tells us what's going on. So I I don't really like hard hitting. I mean, would I ask, I don't know, like louder or something. I mean, I don't know. Like you want to, you want to ask whatever you want to ask in a very professional manner. Uh, and I think that that's going to get more respect and, and probably more insight than like going after people. But I, I will hear that from time to time. It's like, why is it the media attacking Ed Donatel or something? It's like, we got all the, I can show you all the information Ed Donatel told us. He told us he thought it was the player's fault. He told us he thought their game plan against the Giants was going to be great. He, I mean, lots of stuff, but none of it was ever, what is going on, Ed? Why are you blitzing Harrison Smith, you fool? Like that, that wouldn't get you anywhere. So yeah, it's a, but it's an interesting mix. I mean, especially during training camp, there aren't too many hard hitting questions at any training camp. They haven't lost any games yet. So <laughs> Uh, for example, why did you cut Delvin? Well, we're going to ask that. I mean, yeah, that's, (laughs) that goes under pretty, that's not hard hitting. That's just obvious. Right. I mean, that, that's what I mean is that if you, you're most of the time, you just kind of ask like normal questions. Why did you cut Delvin cook might be a little too like, why did you do it? Um, there's kind of a, there's kind of a right tone. You could, I mean, you could ask like what went into the decision or something, and then you'll probably ascertain a little more information. So uh, anyway, uh, let's see. M. Sullivan thinks that Hunter and Hawkinson get extensions. Jefferson after the season or during. That's possible. Um, who has picked up to ask the Chris Thomason type <laughs> questions? Yeah, Chris, I mean, Chris, now he's with the Denver beat. He was always kind of first in line for that. But there's been, I mean, we all, all of us have our, our whatever question we asked got some sort of answer. What was it? Somebody accused the Vikings of something last year that I had to ask. I'm trying to think of what it was uh, that I had to ask Kevin O'Connell about. It was like in the off season. Some, ah, gosh, I can't remember what it was. Someone would have to remind me anyway. Well uh, that, you know, that's that you just, you just try to ask a question that you think is going to pull out the most information um, and go from there. But I mean, the whole off season direction is going to be a huge question for Quasi Adolfo Mensa because, and, and I haven't really included this in any of the camp questions. So I'm glad that you brought it up, but for Quasi Adolfo Mensa, yeah, there's like a hundred questions to ask about how you came about this off season direction in general and, and just getting his insight on that, because I don't really think we've heard from him at all since the NFL 
combine or after the draft, but they hadn't cut a lot of these players yet. So it'll be interesting to get his uh, insight on that. But normally, normally you would ask just kind of um, something a little more like pointed toward here's, here's what I want to know specifically from you about a certain situation. So anyway, all right, on to your next question, Jonathan. All right, let's move to uh, a more specific question here and more specific line of questions. Let's go into the second, the Viking secondary. What will it take for second year safety Lewis seen to win the job? Because obviously going into the season last year, didn't seem to have the greatest of training camps. He was stuck behind Josh Metellus, Cam Bynum and Harrison Smith on the depth chart. Obviously the season ending injury in London hampered his rookie season. Come back still seems from what we saw in OTAs and in minicamp that he's still the fourth guy on that depth chart. What will it take for him to win that job? Uh, that's to be good at football, Jonathan. That's uh, <laughs> the answer there. Um, more more right, specifically, uh, the two guys that he's battling with for that position, because we know that Harrison Smith has it on complete lockdown and was named, what, the 97th best player in football. Yeah. I don't know how they come up with that exactly, but uh, – you know, he's great. And so he's not going anywhere. There's one spot and there's three players and Cam Bynum and Josh Metellus are known as being very, very smart players. Uh, and I, I've always kind of thought at the safety position that intelligence reigns unless you're a freak. So, uh, you know, Troy Palomalu, Ed Reed, Harrison Smith, if you look at Harrison Smith's athletic profile and then also his mental abilities, that's how you get an all pro, right? And there's only a handful of guys who are like that, who have that level of athletic ability. Cause a lot of times, you know, if you're a really great athlete, if you're a little bit smaller, you're just a cornerback. Uh, so a lot of times these safeties are guys who are not exactly the four, three type of speed player and things like that. And uh, you have to do it with your brain. And, you know, I don't think that Xavier Woods was like the best safety ever. Or, I mean, uh, you know, Anthony Harris was good for a year. Anderson Deho. None of these guys, though, were megastars. They were all very good, though. And they all really had high football IQ. And, uh, you know, Anderson Deho, if you take away a handful of kind of reckless hits from him over his career, was a very good player. He was in the UFL. And, and worked his way up. It was a special teamer for the Jets and worked his way up to being a starter on a number one defense in the NFL. And that didn't happen because he ran faster or jumped higher or whatever. So Lewis Seen has a really high ceiling because of his athletic ability. But this is a position that I think is just based a lot on can you read route combinations? Can you understand offenses? And then in this particular defense, you have to understand all the moving parts to know what your role is. So things change based on the offense. Things change based on the play call down to down where you're lining up, who you got. Are you rushing? What are the details of the rush? I've been working on a story about a Brian Flores blitz uh, specific one specific blitz scheme that really says a lot uh, about him. And, and it's that there's a lot of details. It's not just, Hey, uh, somebody run at the quarterback, just uh, you and you, that's the play call. Uh, that would be if I was coaching nine-year-olds, uh, you and you, you run after the quarterback, but um, Brian Flores has it a lot more complicated than that. And if Lewis seen can wrap his head around what Brian Flores wants to do, 
then he is a more gifted football player and can make more of an impact than Cam Bynum and then uh, than Josh Metellus. But I do wonder if by the time we get to the end of training camp, if we're going to hear, well, look, Lewis Seen's first year set him back. So it's really next year that we're going to look for that jump and so forth. And if that ends up being the case, I, I don't, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but then there will be, I think, some real questions about that draft pick and whether it's going to work out. But I do think for those two guys, for Bynum and Metellus, they're both players. I mean, it's not like, well, we got nobody else, so we're just going to have to deal with them. No, they got they got a guy who could play every snap in, in Cam Bynum. They got a guy who could play multiple positions as far as, um, you know, uh, Josh Metellus goes. And I'm actually very interested in how Josh Metellus works out. I think he's one of the most uh, interesting players. And maybe there will be a written list of the most interesting players by tomorrow. Uh, I think he's one of them. Uh, let me answer some questions here. As of today, from Bland Toast. Not a bland question, though, Bland Toast. Uh, as of today, are you more worried about Addison or Seen being a potential bust? Well, I haven't seen Jordan Addison run a single route or catch a single football because he has not practiced in OTAs or minicamp. And even then, I would never claim to know what's going on based on minicamp and OTAs. Except for with Kellen Mond, I was a little concerned. Like, that doesn't look like an NFL quarterback throwing the football to me. But aside from that, receivers, they're in shorts. They're not really, you know, playing intensely. So I have really no idea about Jordan Addison. I know that his driving is problematic and that he's lucky that he's getting a second chance for this. And uh, if there are punitive elements to what he did uh, via the law, uh, I mean, when you go almost three times as fast, that is a crime. So if there's mm-hmm. something there, then he deserves it. If there's something from the NFL, he deserves it. If there's something from the Vikings, he deserves it. He earned that. But, uh, and then the whole dog thing, like, I don't know. I mean, you know, you, you all know me with uh, uh, being a dog lover. I would do anything for my dog, but you certainly are, are not getting away with what you did because of that, uh, mm-hmm. I think. Because all of us have been there. All of us have had to run home for something and driving 140 miles an hour is no excuse. Um, if you're, I, I don't even want to like go down this hole, but like if he was going 90, I might be like, I kind of get it. 140. No, nah, I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is he made a really terrible decision and he's got an opportunity to learn from it. But I don't think that that's reflective of what he's going to be as a football player. That we're going to find out once he gets out there. And the injury stuff is a little bit concerning. But Lewis seen, we have a whole training camp and a whole start to a season. And we had an absence in the secondary from Harrison Smith that Josh Metellus played instead of him. We also have a mini camp as well where he was the fourth safety. So if you're asking which one you're more concerned about as of today, it's definitely uh, Lewis seen. From Daniel, is it crazy to say we have four potential starting safeties since we have a weak uh, linebacker depth? Could we see more safeties on the field than linebackers? Yeah, so if you go uh, back in Brian Flores' history, he actually does use the mythological three safeties. I mean, (laughs) just during Zimmer, every year in training camp, it became kind of a staple to be like, could you use a hybrid type of thing? And he'd be like, oh yeah, we want to do that. And for a hot second, he did with J-Ron Curse. And then J-Ron had some driving issues as well. Ended up in the doghouse, never to be seen again. 
But uh, with, with Brian Flores, there is actual evidence of him using three safeties quite often on the field at the same time. So I would not be shocked at all to see Harrison Smith, Cam Bynum, Josh Metellus with Metellus being moved around or, you know, kind of going back and forth with who's in the box, depending on what the offense is doing. This also could open the door again to Lewis seen playing some sort of rotational role, because I think Flores is more kind of a mix and match uh, type of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that that is something that they will do throughout the year and that we're going to see a lot of um, during training camp. Uh, do you want to go down this path about the new long snapper slash tight end? Uh, <laughs> uh, this is from Sloth. Doesn't seem to be a legit threat for a roster spot. Could it be a real sign of kicking competition to have two full place kick units? Uh, I've seen, you know, kicking competitions with only one line long snapper before. So I, I don't know, but. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the kicker and punter, there is no more vibes position than those guys during training camp. I mean, they're just chilling. They're just, you know, they're wandering <laughs> around, you know, punt the ball to each other every once in a while. I mean, it's so funny to watch. And then like when it's time to go, there's a ton of pressure on them, but they are, you'll see the guys over here sweating, running into each other and it's a hundred degree heat and everything else. The, all the players exasperated by the end of practice and then look over there and it's like three guys taking a walk in the park with the kicker and the punter. So I don't know how intense that the kicking competition can really be outside of when everybody gathers round. And then you have this uh, Podlesny guy. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Is it Jack Podlesny? And then, you know, Greg Joseph, and they're going to get their kicks. And that, and that's what will determine uh, the battle, but maybe, I mean, maybe he's, maybe they brought in another long snapper to have somebody else. And so it's not Andrew DePaula every single time that is possible. Or maybe Kevin O'Connell has doubled down on his trick plays. So he's going to have two <laughs> long snappers, one long snapper snaps it to the other long snapper who runs with it. But if there's nothing there, he long snaps it and then they punt it. That could happen. No, that, that can't happen, but maybe he could be check in as an eligible receiver and then I, I don't know. I got nothing, but the, maybe there's some plays there or something. Um, from Justin, a little bit. Waiting so long to get these important contracts done. Uh, it's complicated. It's just complicated. It, I mean, that's really it because in Justin Jefferson's case, he is going to be the highest paid receiver in the entire league, no matter what the deal is. And that's not something that you just say, all right, so we good? Like, you want a ton of money? We'll give it to you. There's details. I mean, you have to have guaranteed, guaranteed for injury. They've got to work out the years. How much is he going to become the highest paid receiver? It's not by $1 over Tyreek Hill. Uh, so there's a lot of things to be worked out there. TJ Hawkinson, I mean, they've got to think long-term about their salary cap situation. They've got to think about Derisaw, Jefferson, uh, you know, how they're, how they're going to kind of plot that out, but also it also could be the players as well. If they don't want to sign, if Hawkinson is saying, look, I'm just going to let this play out, then they're just going to let it play out. And with Hunter, that's a whole other crazy barrel of, you know, uh, I guess uh weirdness in itself, because I've never seen a player's contract work out this way where he signed his big deal. And then it was immediately so much less than he was worth. And just as they're going to renegotiate it, he gets hurt 
and he's got to do this thing year after year. And now we're on the third straight year. So I've never seen anything quite like the Hunter situation before. That's also complicated as well, because we all know Hunter's good, but there's an injury history. And, you know, he, if he wants to be the highest paid defensive end, then that's too much, but you know, what is too much? So that's, that's why. Um, but if it goes on too long to your point, then we do start to ask questions from old and slow. Certainly felt that this week moving, uh, how much can the defense move up in ranking? Um, best case scenario chime in here, Jonathan. I'm sorry. I've just been running through these questions. Uh, I think, I think best case scenario, you've been having a great time though. Um, you've been, you've been like the, uh, the long snapper over there. Um, just chilling, just vibes. Right. Exactly. But no, um, I think if they could move up to like 17th, that would be a pretty darn good accomplishment that that would mean a lot of young players would play pretty well. You agree with that? Yeah. I mean, they've got, it seems like they've got a better fit at defensive coordinator who seems to know what he's doing a little bit more than Ed Donatel did last year, or at least you hope so. And has that leadership ability to, yeah, despite what the Vikings have done on the defensive side of the ball by moving players out, he's got that. It seems like he's got the past and the history to know how to develop some of these younger guys and work with them a little better than what we've seen in the past. So yeah, I think if you can move up into the teens, even if it's the lower teens uh, from where you were last year, I think that's a notable improvement that you want to see from this defense, especially with all the young guys that they're counting on this year. It is a significantly more questionable roster than it was last year because of the rookies and the guys Mm -hmm. who haven't played much and the essential rookies who just weren't really on the field last year that were drafted in 2022. So you question what can these guys even be? Like we knew what Patrick Peterson was and he played even beyond what we thought he could do. At the same time, there were guys who were getting a little bit on the not as fast side. And so now you have a faster defense. And I do think, and I have long thought that Um, defensive coordinator is a position always relative to talent that can have a lot of impact on, uh, you know, the, the final score, uh, game planning and aggressiveness and when to be aggressive and everything else. Now, if you got nothing and you have no corners who can't cover anybody, then even Mike Zimmer looks bad, but I think Mike Zimmer takes a really good defense and makes it number one or top five year after year. And I think Ryan Flores falls into that same category. He may not be exactly like Zimmer, although I think they have similarities, might not play the exact same system, but uh, I think Belichick has long impacted what their team does on defense. And that's why they've been able to move on from a lot of players over the years and yet find ways to stay very, very good on defense. And Flores comes from the Belichick school of defense in the past that hasn't always been good to come from the Belichick school of anything, but Flores is the exception to that. And I did see some metrics the other day and, and, you know, it's one of those charts that you kind of look at and go, Oh, that's interesting that we're trying to figure out a way to rank defensive play callers and had Brian Flores as one of the elite play callers in the league. You go from possibly the worst play caller in the entire league defensively and Ed Donatel to one of the best. I, I, I think that that can have an impact, but I also know how hard it is to be a young corner in the NFL. And I mean, whether it's Booth Jr., Blackman, Evans, these guys are all extremely inexperienced. And that is going to be difficult as they go through a season with lots of good receivers, lots of good quarterbacks. 
Uh, Joshua asks, uh, why do you think we haven't added new offensive linemen to push Cleveland and Ingram? I think that they have, well, one is cap space. There's just not, uh, there wasn't until recently. Now there is, but that goes back to what we were talking about with Zadarius and Delvin cook. But at the time in free agency, there wasn't. I also think that, uh, they have good depth, like solid depth on the offensive line. Oli Udo stepped in last year, played right tackle in a playoff game and played pretty well. Uh, I don't know if Blake Brandle makes the team, but Chris Reed is a proven player as a backup in the NFL. If you want to get somebody that's going to really push for starting jobs against those two, two second round draft picks who are, who are talented and have had their uh, very rocky moments, you probably would have to go pay for a starter uh, because if I am a guy who considers myself a starter in free agency and you say, oh, we'll sign you to come compete with Ed Ingram. It's like, no, nah, I'm going to sign somewhere else and be a starter. So anybody who was going to come in was going to be of the backup caliber, but they already have that. I think they have decent depth on the offensive line, but I mean, push them uh, that if they need pushing, then they're not going to work out. It's really that simple because uh, Ingram was very poor last year and uh, in the past protection element. So if, you know, if he can't do it on his own to be motivated to uh, become a really good guard, then that's never really, uh, never really going to change. Uh, Nick wants to know who the most important and interesting second year player is. Hmm. Who's your first reaction to that, Jonathan? I think it goes along with the next question that I had up. If you want to move on to that one, uh, yeah, is, Brian, is Brian Asamoah, a lock to start at linebacker. I think he's one of the more interesting spots or options for this question because he's filling, he, it looks like he's set to fill in those shoes that Eric, Eric Kendricks has left. Now there's a spot there that the Vikings need to fill in. And Brian Asmoa showed some, showed some flashes last year. He showed that he is an incredibly quick linebacker and it's a definite change at that position. Can he, is he a lock to start there or is it Troy Reader's spot or, or someone else that we're, we don't know yet. Yeah, I guess I would say it better be Brian Asamoah's spot. <laughs> I mean, if this is what you're doing now, now, I've never been for playing rookies or young players who don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have snarked on numerous occasions over the last two years about, well, you know, the I guess the Mike Zimmer doesn't like these young players. Oh, wait, no, Kevin O'Connell's doing the same thing because they're going to play the best players that give them the best chance to win, regardless of whether they're a rookie or anything else. But um, with Asamoah, if you're playing Troy Reader over Asamoah, I just have big questions because Asamoah is very gifted. He is extremely quick. He's got lightning speed. Mm-hmm. And I do think that he's a little bit like, what, what did they compare? I think they said uh, Eric Hendricks drank too much coffee or something. He played like he drank too much coffee. There is a little bit of that same thing with Asamoah. But I would be willing to let him make mistakes by trying to jump routes or or be Mm -hmm. too aggressive going after a running back than I would just having an average player who's kind of just going to be a journeyman backup linebacker starting just because the other guy isn't ready. So I think that Asamoah will be starting. How good he is, though, actually does impact the last question of how good they can be because that was one area where they were just flat out horrendous last year. It was not the same Eric Hendricks. How much of that was his fault? I don't know. Um, but the system didn't fit. And and so they can upgrade majorly with 
uh, Asamoah's performance and he has young legs. He is fast. Linebackers do tend to start to fade uh, when they get to the 30s in terms of that quickness and burst similar to running backs. He is a very important player and a very important piece to the future because I think they feel like they found something there. And if they didn't, it will be quite deflating. But I, it's hard not to go with Lewisine. It's hard not. I mean, really, all these guys. Ed Ingram, yeah. we just talked about, might be the pick though, because if Ed Ingram, because I, I feel like you can survive if Andrew Booth Jr. doesn't work out. You drafted Makai Blackman. That's a position where there's a lot of free agents that you know come up year to year. So if Booth Jr. doesn't work out, okay, you already have two good safeties, okay. But if Ed Ingram allows 11 sacks again. There's just no answer there, right? There's no patching it over. There's no covering it up. And we saw that last year, all those hits that Kirk Cousins were taking, a lot of them were coming straight up the middle against that Ingram. But if he figures it out and he takes a similar jump to what Garrett Bradbury did last year, and he's at least good, doesn't even have to be great. If he's just a normal second round pick, solid NFL starting caliber, then they will have a very good offensive line. And I was looking at this study Washington posted using the PFF grades and trying to estimate what it's worth. If you can have a top offensive line, it's worth a lot. If you have a middling offensive line, being the 17th best or 14th best doesn't really make that big of a difference. And I think that he's the swing man because you can have, I, I think on an offensive line, you can have one weak link and then work around that player but you can't have two. There's no way to cover up for two players who are struggling. And that's what they had last year. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that it, a lot of it rests on Ingram. And I also think that they're going to play in a lot of shootouts and they're going to play against a lot of good defensive tackles. And so can you match, uh, you know, those teams that are going after you? And of course, this is for the long term as well. He's on a rookie contract. If he takes a big jump, then you have two more years after that of rookie contract with great play. That's like finding gold. Um, so I'm going to go with, with Ingram, even though I, I think the defensive players might seem a little more on the obvious side. We've got a, a new offensive line signing. If you're interested from the XFL, I did see that. Yes. Yeah. Bobby Evans joining the Vikings. How does that affect things for oh, you? Oh, not him. Okay. They also signed a guy from the XFL. <laughs> Bobby Evans has kind of been around. So there you go. They heard you and they signed somebody. I, no, Bobby <laughs> Evans probably isn't. It's because Chris Reed is on the inactive lit. What list? Hold on. We've got the list. There's a list. He's on the, yeah. Uh, active non-football injury yeah. list. So I imagine they added another guard and uh, also Andre Carter, who everyone's excited about was mm-hmm. on, is on the pup physically unable to perform. That's interesting because I don't remember an injury specifically. And uh, just to go all the way through, Jack Snyder was the XFL guy. Colin Thompson is the tight end slash long snapper. And they waved Malik Knowles just after I put out the receiver thing. <laughs> you hate to see it. You hate to yeah, see it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, okay, so uh, let me answer this from Joshua here. Who do you think is the most likely candidate to be cut? And uh, who do you think is going to be a surprise league-wide? League-wide would be a very difficult question to answer. But um, if you mean like a surprise cut for the Vikings, uh, you know, I was going over a 53 the other day, and I was really struggling to find the surprise cut. Andrew Booth Jr. is probably the answer to this. If he's just banged up and bad, 
then Brian Flores might just say, look, I don't care because I mean, it's not his draft pick. He's not going to ride with somebody forever. And if he doesn't get it and he's banged up and he's just never on the field, then I think that would be a pretty big surprise if they were to cut a second rounder uh, right off the bat. I'm having trouble thinking of what another surprise, like big surprise cut could be. I mean, we know like Jalen Rager would not be a surprise. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And and so, because surprises would all have to be like kind of realistic ish, you know, it's gotta be surprising, but also like, boy, if they cut that Jefferson kid, it'd be crazy. Like, like, okay, that's not (laughs) realistic, but what, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Is, is Ross Blacklock a surprise? Like, I just, no, not really. I'm not sure. Maybe yeah. Jordan Hicks, if they liked somebody else. I think your first uh, option was the best one. DJ Wanham. I can't see that, though. They just have no outside linebackers. Yeah, well, that's the thing about a young team is that there isn't a lot of older veterans that we usually talk about with this type of thing that uh, they could cut. So uh, what else you got, Jonathan? All right. You mentioned Andrew Booth Jr. just a little bit ago, so let's let's dive into the cornerback situation. That is probably one of the more interesting uh, battle positions going into this training camp just because of so much change there and a lot of young guys. So who wins the battle, Makai Blackman or Andrew Booth Jr.? As you mentioned, he could be a surprise cut if, if he just doesn't work out and he continues to stay injured. We saw that there's talent, but he's also very injury-prone from his college days into into now his pro career. Makai Blackman, five years in college, played as, as a starter for USC last year. Third round pick, I believe, this year. Who's going to win that battle? Uh, also, if uh, you guys in the chat have any ideas for a surprise cut that I'm not thinking of, like feel free to drop them in there. Because I, I even as you were asking that, I was still racking my brain. Like, who is it going to be this year? Who's like the B-Rob or something? There isn't really one of those guys. So feel free to drop uh, who you think it might be. But Makai Blackman versus Andrew Booth Jr. Um, Makai Blackman was a guy that, and I try to not make too much of draft night videos where they show inside the draft room and they're like, yeah, got our guy. And then it doesn't matter at all. But they really seemed to want Makai Blackman. And I've got to wonder about Brian Flores and his influence in this. And when I watched Makai Blackman, what I saw was somebody that really thrived in man-to-man coverage. And I guess I think um, that that's something that Brian Flores might really like his ability to stay with wide receivers, to mirror wide receivers. And as you mentioned, he is an older rookie that kind of has expectations on him right away. There isn't like, Oh, well, you know, in three years, you'll never believe what you see. Like he's 24. So it's got to kind of happen quick. There isn't any more real ceiling for him. And with Booth Jr., I'm really trying to decide how low to be on Booth Jr. Because we saw a little flash of it last year in training camp of how talented he is. And I know that everyone's reaction is exactly what Marks is in the chat, that he'll, that he will get hurt. And I have nothing to dispute that because he got hurt five or six times last year in a very short period of time. He's a really slender dude. And that can just be life sometimes if you're not, you know, naturally built a little bit bigger that you just are prone to getting injured. 
But I've also seen this thing turn around and go the other way, where we think we know on a guy, oh, you know, he's just going to be hurt and he's not good enough and so forth. And then all of a sudden it clicks in. He stays healthy. He becomes a good player. I don't want to write him off. I want to see how that battle goes. But if you're asking me right now who I think will win it, I think Makai Blackman will win it. I think he'll start as a rookie. Uh, uh, along with a Caleb Evans and uh, Byron Murphy in the slot, because that seems to be how they were drawing it up. It seemed like right away in minicamp, Makai Blackman's out there. He's known for his intensity, his intelligence, and and that usually translates to somebody like Brian Flores. So this one, I think Andrew Booth Jr. would have to come from behind, but I also wouldn't say that it's completely like out of this, you know, out of the question. Um, from those two guys, but this is, and, and I would even throw a Caleb Evans. I don't know why we've decided he's got the job either. I mean, these three guys are really battling for position. I think that if we said, who do they like the most as of this moment, I would rank it Evans, Blackman and Booth jr. But lots can change during training camp. And I'm really interested to see if they play these guys in the preseason games. I think they should. And I think they will to let them battle it out in some real game situations. They'll let the veterans sit, but there's not that many veterans. Um, so uh, let me jump to a few more questions. Purple Purgatory asks, any thoughts on Kyrus Tonga? I read he was 14th by PFF's grading scale last year. Um, probably if you don't sort it by snaps, he had a very high grade. Uh, that does benefit rotational players sometimes. Uh, I thought Kyrus Tonga was terrific last year. He is a massive dude. And he actually got after the passer much more than I thought he was going to. He's got a natural athleticism to him. I sat down with him, a really motivated guy. And I'm I'm kind of intrigued. Yeah, I'm kind of intrigued by Kyrus Tonga. That battle for defensive line, if you saw my 53, uh, I was like, who do I cut here? I think I had 11, which is a little unusual. They often have 10, 10, or sometimes they reach to 11 defensive linemen. And I was cutting Jonathan Bullard and Ross Blacklock to try to include these younger players. But I think that we're going to see Kyrus Tonga as a regular next to Harrison Phillips on the defensive line in a lot of um, those situations. JP suggests Kenny Wongwu for a surprise cut. That would be incredibly surprising because I don't think that the new rules will impact Kenny at all. Uh, I think they'll impact Matt Daniels and the kickoff, but I don't think that they're going to impact the Vikings choice. They are going to return those kicks because Kenny can bring them back for a touchdown. So you have the option of waving for it, but they won't, they're going to catch it and they're going to try to go for a touchdown because Kenny can do that. So at very least he has some value. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect him to get cut. I mean, Dwayne McBride, I guess if, if it's not going well, they might bring in somebody else in that backfield. And you know, if it's just Dwayne McBride, there's nothing there or they want to develop him more. Um, we, you know, everybody gets excited about the highlight reel and uh, let me tell you, it's something. And look, if you're going to pick a long shot running back, do it in the seventh round. Like don't do it in the third or the first do it, you know, do it in the seventh round. If you're going to pick a running back, uh, because sometimes those guys become great from the seventh round or fifth round or something. But a lot of times they don't when it comes to that deep into the draft. But again, I don't think that's a surprise of a seventh round rookie uh, got cut from Daniel. What about Joe Juwan Williams? I'm going to ask him if it's Joe Juan or Joe Juwan. I, I went back to the draft coverage and they were saying Joe Juwan. So I'm not really sure on that, but uh, 
is he just a body with uh, no chance we see him validate his high draft pick? You know, he's an interesting guy. I was reading up on him the other day and he went to Vanderbilt, uh, seems to be, you know, a guy who overcame a lot to be in the NFL, which is interesting. Uh, Nick Underhill, who's been on our show before covers the saints. Now he wrote about him. I think when Nick was, maybe he's covering the Patriots for the athletic or something, wrote a really good feature about him, kind of all that he went through as a kid to, to kind of get here and Vanderbilt, obviously they don't let any dweebs like us into Vanderbilt. So, um, you know, I think he might be a fit with Flores. I had him making it, um, because also the other guys are like Tay Gowen. Uh, so they're going to keep, they're going to keep some guys and maybe he ends up at worst being like, uh, in case of emergency or even just a really good special teamer if he wants to do that. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I think that he's got a good chance to make it. Uh, how high are the Vikings on Jaron Hall? Well, at this moment, it doesn't really matter, I don't think, because I don't think there's any chance he's QB2, like 0%, um, unless Nick Mullins gets hurt. Nick Mullins is a pro's pro, understands the offense. Even when he got into some games last year, like he looks like a quarterback. Uh, Jaron Hall's a guy that's going to have to sit at least for a year. But, I mean, they were high enough on him to draft him, and that's really, after that, I don't know. Um, he didn't take any reps with the first or second team uh, during mini camp, as I would not expect to see him at any point take any reps. My question is, though, because there is a question here about Jaron Hall, is is he going to make the roster or are they going to cut him? So if he plays in preseason, he's going to play a lot, I would guess, and plays really well, then he might have to make the roster out of concern that somebody else might go Tyler Thigpen. Now, this is deep into the weeds. But didn't Kansas City claim Tyler Thigpen when the Vikings tried to cut him and sneak him to the practice squad back in the day? I think that happened. So we don't we don't want to see no Tyler Thigpen situations here. Um, but they might end up keeping. I actually had them keeping three quarterbacks on the roster. They normally don't coming out of camp, uh, but I think because they spent a fifth rounder, they will. Uh, Nick wants to know who gets the second most targets this year. I still have that at well second most on the whole team. TJ Hawkinson, as far as receivers, um, it, I, I still have KJ Osborne until proven otherwise, really. I mean, we haven't seen Jordan Addison do anything. So except for speed and, <laughs> uh, you know, so how can he say right now, but uh, I think we'll have a much better feel for where that is at uh, as we go along. And I also try to bring this up, but we, we live in such a fantasy world that it's like wide receiver two, wide receiver three. Everybody is wide receiver two to Justin Jefferson and anybody can have a big day depending on how the defense plays. So if Addison is good enough to be on the field and doesn't like lose the job to Jalen Naylor as once upon a time, uh, Laquan Treadwell lost it to Adam Thielen, you know, so if, uh, you know, he wins the job and he's wide receiver, he's sort of two or three, like they don't run the guys out in the formation and go, all right, you're wide receiver one, you're two, you're three. Uh, it's more of like everyone has their role on a play and how it, you know the defense plays it is going to dictate where the ball goes. And that's why with you know KJ Osborne, he had you know some very you know unproductive games and some games where it didn't look like he was on the same page with cousins, and then other games where he was very good. Um, 
So everyone, everyone's kind of just secondary and it's whoever is open, whoever's going to be the person Kirk Cousins wants to look at. But Addison's got to prove that first. So I still have Osborne with more targets than Addison until sort of uh, proven otherwise. What's the next question on your list, John? Well, you just answered the Osborne-Addison battle question, so I'll scratch that one off for the future. Uh, one last question on the defensive side, then we'll get to the offensive side. Where do Marcus Davenport and Dean Lowry fit in? Because obviously the Vikings got rid of Zadarius Smith in the offseason, trading with Cleveland. Then they brought in Marcus Davenport and Dean Lowry, two guys who have a total of one sack between them in the 2022 season. So obviously not a whole lot of pressure coming from them last season. How do they fit in with the Vikings in 2023? Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see that uh, because – you know, Dean Lowry was used differently and we're always kind of studying this because we have the data to look at it. So he was used a little bit differently, uh, in 2021 when he had more production. And I think that he's going to get back to that a little bit, uh, and try to become a pass rusher for them and play a lot of snaps for them. I'm really more interested in Davenport though, because he's younger and he is a little more, I mean, uh, saying unproven is kind of weird because he's been in the league long enough to have a sample size, but there is a lightning in a bottle type of element of, you know, can you get Marcus Davenport on the upswing after a bad year last year? Some of his underlying data is pretty good. He's able to consistently pressure the quarterback. He's graded really well by PFF. So there's something there and there's one more step. And this goes, hey, this was a hard hitting question from uh, when Marcus Davenport signed. I asked him why he didn't sack anybody, but I didn't ask him like that. I asked, I just said, you know, when you look at your production, kind of how did you view that production drop? Like, did you view it as, you know, you were still winning a lot of reps or did you kind of look at it as a really disappointing season and kind of what caused that? And he said that he felt like he wasn't sticking enough to the scheme and how he was being coached. And he was trying to kind of freelance a little too much. And so it seems like He's taken some lessons away from that big drop-off in sacks. Now, how does that translate? Also, will they bump him inside a little bit? Because he's been a 4-3 defensive end. Now it's a 3-4 base, so it's more the outside, like wide nine. But I wonder if they move him inside to kind of that 3-4 defensive end or, you know, I guess if you're looking at it like a four, three, it's more of a three technique type of thing in certain pass rush situations. Uh, if they try to do, you know, that with him, because I don't know that that's ever really been done with uh, a guy like him before. who has got really good size and really good quickness. So, yeah, I mean, I'm interested if they kind of tweak his role a little bit with Lowry. I much more know what he is. He's going to be in there play 600 snaps. He's going to pressure the quarterback from time to time, but I don't think he's a major, major impact player. It's not this, you know, Grady Jarrett type of signing. I think more of just a solid veteran that they wanted on the defensive line that if Daniel Hunter goes, could be pretty young, but Davenport, it still feels like even despite the fact that he's been around a little bit, there's this upside element to him that the Vikings are kind of taking a swing at. Yeah. I mean, at 26, uh, going into 27, you're you're expecting that you can still get a couple more years out of him. And yeah, you're seeing him drop from nine sacks to half a sack. There's something there that obviously went wrong last season. So they feel, it seems like they feel like they can get back, get him back to that nine sack season and get him kind of into that form, especially if you're going to line up. And if they 
if you're going to line up across Daniel Hunter, that's going to take a little bit of pressure off you. You're going to have a little bit of maybe an easier route uh, considering Daniel Hunter's on the other side. They'll probably focus a little bit more on that side. Maybe they can feel they can take advantage there. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see between those two, how they, how they kind of fit in with the new look offense. Now on to the offensive side of the ball. You've already answered Osborne and Addison battle. Uh, let's talk about Kenny Wongwu because you brought him up a little bit ago in that running back battle. Uh, will Kenny Wongwu's kicking return, kick returning ability translate to the backfield? Because we saw last year he didn't get a whole lot of touches as the running back uh, for the Vikings because all of them went to Dalvin Cook and a couple went to Alexander Madison and none went to pretty much anybody else. How does Kenny Wongwu's kick returning ability translate to the running back role? And will they actually use him there this year? Yeah, and, and I think there's a very legitimate battle between Kenny Wongwu and Ty Chandler to be something in this offense. Alexander Madison, they will, if they only trust him, they will roll him out for all three downs, game after game after game mm -hmm. after game. I think that they will, uh, if that's what they have to do. But my guess is that their preference is to have a thunder and lightning type of combination where it is somebody who runs a sub 4-4. And both Kenny Wongwu and Ty Chandler run sub four fours. I mean, I, I think, you know, Chandler, we saw last year in the preseason, his speed, he was averaging seven yards to carry. And I went back and looked, it's like this, this guy was so fast. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Four, four, three, eight. Yeah. He's really fast. And uh, you know, Wong Wu just has, doesn't have a lot of reps as a running back over his entire career. That's what's interesting about him is even when you go back to college, he was not getting uh, the main backfield carries. And then his first year, he gets a handful when there are some injuries, he gets absolutely nothing last year. And we don't really know what he can do, but there's also a part of this that is, look, you are so good with the football in your hands. You have to be able to do something right. And that the, historically has not always translated that, you know, not, not all uh, guys who are good at kick returning can be Cordero Patterson and also be good with the ball in their hands as well. But the amount of development that he needs to do to figure out how to be good in the backfield as a change up to Madison shouldn't be that much because he has the natural ability that is so, so high. So the battle between those two guys, I think it begins even with each guy, a 50% chance or even uh, one of them, you know, may emerge as, as being like even more prominent than Madison. I, I feel like I'd be very surprised, but it's not something that's never happened before where somebody comes out in training camp, just wins a job straight up because they're so good. I, I mean, that would be one of the big surprises of training camp. If someone had a 50, 50 role with Alexander Madison, because they were so good, he's clearly the favorite, but the high end of this, knowing what we know about running backs is they could find the next star and the low end is they could have two dudes that they don't trust at all in a seventh round draft pick and go sign Kareem hunt or something. And I, I don't think that's a good outcome at all, but there is a wide range of potential outcomes here. I've been on the train of like, give Kenny Wong Wu a chance. He's that good. And uh, you know, kind of, we'll see what happens from there, but you know, Chandler, at least in college was a much more used running back. So he has you know more experience there, but you know, Wong Wu uh, was it, it both guys were in this in the system last year. Wong was a little bit quicker. I don't know. I, I think this is one where every day we're going to be counting the reps. All right. Who was behind Alexander Madison the most? How were they looking? Were they making plays in the passing game? Were they picking up blitzes? Uh, this is I mean, we got a backfield battle. We have not had that in how long? 
since I've been covering the team, that has not been the case. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm very interested to see how they decide to use Kenny Wong because we've seen this offense. There's creativity there, and it'll be interesting to see how that battle plays out in the backfield. Next question for you as we roll through these questions. This is kind of a two-parter because Sloth in the chat has sort of an addendum to this question. Will the Vikings need to bring anyone else into camp? And as uh, Sloth in the chat asks, if I told you that a player who is not currently a Viking would play 400-plus snaps in purple this year, what position would you guess he plays for? So I guess those two questions kind of go together. Uh, If the Vikings have to bring in another body during camp, what position do you think it's for? Certainly if they trade Daniel Hunter, I don't think they're going to roll in with just Patrick Jones, DJ Wanham, Luigi Valane, and uh, Curtis Weaver. I think if we're going uh, that far deep on the depth chart, I I think that they would bring a veteran player in to at least have a serviceable defensive line and not uh, all young players uh, coming off of the edge here. But yeah, I mean, that's certainly it. Uh, running back is another position I could see. Injuries always play a role here, but who else? I mean, cornerback, if they completely can't stand how everyone looks right away, if nobody can figure out the defense and they need to bring in a veteran, but Marcus Peters is off the market. He signed today with the Raiders. So I guess if I was ranking positions, I would go outside linebacker first and then running back and then corner And of course, you know, whatever injuries come up linebacker would also be a more of a long shot. If Jordan Hicks looks like he's just done in the NFL, Troy reader can't really be a starter or if they don't like what they see from reader, or if they don't like what they see from Asamoah could look to somebody, but at this point, are there any uh, linebackers out there who can play? There are some pass rushers out there. Our old buddy, Yannick Ngakwe. Now that would be kind of, Interesting. If Yannick Ngakwe just showed up back here, uh, there keeps being kind of rumors that he's going to start uh, or that he's going to show up in Chicago or something, but I, I don't know. Uh, but there are guys still out there. Did Melvin Ingram sign anywhere? I don't think that he did. Um, so there's always those kind of late signing pass rushers. That would be my guess. And I will say that someone shows up. I don't know who, and I don't know which position, but someone will show up at this training camp that is not on the roster right now that does play more than 400 snaps. Uh, That's a, not that hot of a prediction, but a little bit, it's like a four out of 10 for heat for the prediction. So um, let's, let's do one more, Jonathan. We've been at this for a while, debuting the new studio, new sound, new look. Um, I bought this shirt fairly recently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the, the shirt's the most important part of it. Uh, who are your under-the-radar players to watch coming into training camp and to watch throughout the preseason games? Well, I think that wide receiver is definitely at the top of that list for any training camp because those guys have the most chance to obviously shine. And I'll give you one right now that I think, to a two, I'll give you two that are not real known players. One is Tristan Jackson. Uh, last year, he beat out Amir Smith-Marset for a depth role And I liked what I saw from him. I mean, he looked like an NFL wide receiver during training camp. And then during mini camp with uh, Addison and Jefferson, not there um, or uh, OTAs, uh, he was making plays. And then even into mini camp, he was making plays with Addison out uh, when Jefferson returned. So I think Tristan Jackson is a guy who's been around a little bit. He's had some time to mature. He comes from Los Angeles, maybe understands the system pretty well. 
And Thayer Thomas is the other guy, kind of a lifelong underdog story. He was a walk-on at NC State, uh, drafted in the MLB draft as well. One of those guys who has always been a bit of an overachiever and maybe has a chance. And he was another one that was making a lot of plays during training camp. Um, so those, those are kind of two really obvious ones. Uh, let me think a little farther down the roster. I am really interested in Nick Muse. Yeah. That, what a sentence that is, but Nick Muse <laughs> is a seventh round tight end. They drafted last year, I believe. Mm -hmm. And him versus Johnny Munt. Do they need two veteran blocking tight ends? I don't know that they do. And maybe uh, Nick Muse has a chance to kind of jump up there and emerge. I'll go with also Asazia Tomoe. There were some little flashes for the Minnesota guy last year. And I do mean little, and he only got like 90 snaps, but a couple of those where you went, Ooh, okay. Guys got a little bit of burst there. And as we were talking about that interior pass rush battle, Asazia Tomoe might have a chance uh, to stand out. And there's one more draft pick that we haven't really talked about really at all, uh, which is Jay Ward. And where does he play? Does he played corner? He played nickel. He played safety. Likely probably going to be a special teamer, but um, you know, I, I do think that there could be some chance that uh, Jay Ward kind of emerges as someone as an interesting weapon, the way that we've been talking about Josh Metellus. Maybe that's a year down the road. It's probably a year down the road. He's probably Josh Metellus's replacement for next year, but I'll be keeping an eye on him to see if there's anything there. See if he starts working his way to the second team. So uh, I guess there's, there's a few guys there. Yeah. I think there's besides the obvious in the cornerback battles, there's a lot of interesting guys that are out there to be watched and seen and what they can do, especially because the Vikings don't under Kevin O'Connell anyways, don't play a lot of their starters or any of their starters for preseason. So there's going to be plenty of minutes for those guys to play and impress Vikings fans who don't go two practices at TCO performance center over the next month. So yeah, that'll be interesting. And then uh, a final, final question uh, before we enter training camp, before it all starts and kicks off tomorrow uh, let's get it on the record. Your record prediction for this season. Well, nothing that has happened so far has changed from where I was at 10 and seven. Um, I saw USA today put out theirs. They've got the Vikings seven and 10. And I think that everyone's prediction is somewhere between 10 and seven and seven and 10. Uh, I think that Flores' defense will be good enough to be better, that the offense will still be very good, but will not be elite, that there will be a lot of madness, a lot of close games and everything else. The one thing that came to my mind when Jordan Addison had his thing is, oh, is it going to be one of those years? Yeah. Yeah, everybody, everybody knows that feeling. Last year was not one of those years. That was one of them other years. That was one of them years where everything goes your way, but what must go uh, or what goes up must come down. And you do worry about that a little, but you know, I, I do think that uh, they can be uh, one of those teams that competes to win their division. They go into the final month of the season. And so how you play there is whether you're in the playoffs or not. And I don't know which way it'll go because it's not a, it's not a great NFC. It's not a great NFC North. I don't think either the opportunity is there, but I also feel like there is a wider range of outcomes than there has been leading into the season. In my opinion, last year, I didn't see 13 games. I, I thought that the range of opinions was, or not opinions, but uh, outcomes 
was uh, pretty narrow. I actually thought they were going to be somewhere between eight and nine and 10 and seven. And they were more like one of those kinds of teams that won every game at the end. But uh, this year, I, I do feel like if they were a lot worse than I think, I wouldn't be totally shocked. Like if Kirk hit the age thing and just can't, you know, just can't after taking all those hits. Uh, or if he was super motivated to really show them that they made a mistake by not extending him. And uh, I mean, I think he's always motivated, but if they just played really, really well on offense and Addison was great and Ingram was great and they just rolled, I, then you could see from that perspective, them winning 10, 11 games. So I, I think there is a wide range of outcomes, but I'm going to stick with the way I picked it when the schedule came out, a lot's changed since then, but I'm going with 10 and seven. So uh, tomorrow, Quasi Rafa Kevin O'Connell, press conferences. We will have it on the podcast feed. Will Raggetts and I breaking it down. So if you don't subscribe to the podcast feed, make sure you go over there as well as uh, whatever you do here on YouTube, like favorite X. I don't know what the, all the social media lingo is anymore, but uh, hope you enjoyed our training camp special hour and 20 minutes. And you didn't even have to pay for it. Imagine. Hope you all enjoyed it. I thank you for all uh, showing up. We had a really good crowd of people here. You can tell that everyone is excited to have Vikings football back and my gosh, we are too. So uh, we will see you with actual news and quotes and all sorts of things to talk about when we talk next. So thanks for all your time, Jonathan, and we will actually be back tomorrow night for hot routes as well. Um, so a uh, lot going on uh, here on purple insider. All right. Catch y'all later football.